Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Mike. You can find me on Twitter at Black Exception One. Okay, we have. What's going on, everybody? It's D Mills. You can catch me on Twitter at MD Mills seventy nine. MD Mills seventy nine. All right, and today we have a special guest. We have Torin Walker. Hello, Torin. What is this? This is Torin Walker. You can find me on Twitter at Torin Walker. T o r a i n e w a l k e r. Great, great. And um, tell us anything that you think is worth knowing about you, Torin. Well, I think the main thing to to know about me is that I'm I believe in observation. Um, pretty much in any situation, if you, if I hear something that's going on, I like to sit back and take my time about what's going on and how I feel about it. And then I make a statement or I make a decision on what I'm going to do. I don't really do hysterical or emotional that much. I just like to analyze. Okay. And what is your, uh, current, what do you do, Turing? I'm a writer. That's my, um occupation um i've had pieces published in a lot of national magazines and i've done some interviews with some fairly prominent people and i got some things cooking right now that are getting ready to drop but that's basically what i do i'm a freelance um freelance writer any website yeah um my website is uh tornwalker.com i just rebuilt re uh, relaunched that again and i'm going to be doing interviews and also hosting some more content on there, some video and things like that as well. Nice. Yeah, so uh, you were recently, uh, we had discussed this in another episode, and you were had a role to play in a recent drama that happened with uh, Cam Newton, and I wanted you to uh, elaborate on that. It had to do with a recent... Um, sexism scandal due to something cam newton said in a locker room interview yeah um basically what it was was the whole situation where he gave an interview after the game and he got a question from this um sports reporter i think her name was uh jordan rodriguez and she asked him about routes and he sort of made a snide comment saying that you know it's funny to hear a woman asking about routes and that became, I think it happened, I don't know exactly what day it was, but by the morning, it had become a major thing. And he was accused of being a sexist and basically saying he was belittling this woman's intelligence about um, sports and everything. And as you know, he ended up losing an endorsement behind that with, um, was it Oikos Yogurt, I believe? I think from Dannon. Uh, it, 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 it was uh, Dannon. Yeah, oh, okay. So, well, it was like, but Dan is, Dan is the parent, Dan is the company that makes this particular brand of uh, uh, yogurt. Oh, so oh, oh, so Oikos is a Dan yeah. sub brand. Yeah. You're saying. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay, so it is Oikos and Dan, mm-hmm. basically. I understand. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even sure. I didn't see the actual uh, thing that um, Cam Newton said. Some people are saying it was snide. Some people are saying that it was meant to be complimentary to the woman, but you know, in theory, insulting to womankind as a whole. Like he was saying, you personally know your stuff because you're talking about roots and technical NFL terms, and 
the average woman doesn't know that. So, you know, it's kind of, is he insulting her? Is he insulting women in general? Um, is he insulting women I thought that was weird. I thought it was just weird for him to say it. I mean, she wasn't really getting, as far as the, the clip that I saw, she wasn't really getting technical about the routes. She was just asking him, you know, if he about yeah, it seemed about like the receivers were getting comfortable with running the route, and he was him and the receivers were kind of becoming, you know, getting a a, a, a comfortable feeling. They were getting comfortable in in the route running, and he was getting comfortable in finding them. You know, it wasn't real technical, so it was his response kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a high level question. It wasn't like a mind blowingly high level question. Yeah, I think that's part of what it was. I think. It, I think what people had a problem with was the his tone because if you listen to if you actually listen to the the clip, it doesn't sound like to me anything really insulting. But his tone and the way he said it was kind of like off the cuff or kind of like sarcastic, and I think that might be what people had an issue with. But I don't know if they him and this reporter have a history or what. But I think that's what people took offense to. Well, and the thing about it is, is when you, when you saw when I saw the comments, it it, it was. The problem is also that it could be left open for interpretation exactly what he meant by it. His demeanor was not exactly um, exact, so you couldn't tell, you know, what the um, what the expression behind it really meant. So I think it ended up making it more, making it worse than it really was. Is that people could add in um, their own interpretation of what he was trying to say because there was some ambiguity there and people definitely did that from what I saw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was kind of messy overall because to me, I, I mean, like, whether you liked it or disliked it, it seemed like she was throwing in a lot of extras on it because she was going online and just really trying to rally people you know online about it and like I, I don't have the tweets up but she was she was she was she was basically um really getting ready to become a a uh what's what's the word not a martyr but but, but she, she oh, was ready, she ready to get a soapbox sure. yeah she was starting the soapbox going and she had a couple of tweets going on and Torin, let me make sure um, I understand this correctly. Uh, were you the one who found her racist tweets that, that dug in, or did someone else find them and you found them separately as well? Or what exactly happened there? Because I know that you were credited in Blavity with digging into her uh, past and finding some well, the way, tweets. Yeah, the way that came about was... Um, I was just checking my Twitter feed the next morning and Cam Newton was the number one trending story. So I started looking at why he was trending and then I found the clip. And then when I started looking at other people's um, feeds, I saw people saying that, you know, this stuff we had talked about earlier that she, you know, he was being a sexist and he was really offensive. And I ended up coming across um, somebody had, um, I can't remember who, but somebody had, found a tweet of hers where she said something about her and her father were going through Navajo country and she said her father was making racist jokes and it was sort of like she was kind of did it like as, as though she was going along with it and from that I just started looking through her um, history and everything I you know I put in her name and then I looked up racist and all this other stuff started coming up 
And then the main one that I found was one that she said something about, I don't know, I think she retweeted it or something, some sort of um, exchange she had with somebody back in 2012 or whatever, where the N-word got used. And um, what I did was I put those all together. I screenshot them. And then I just put on my own feed, like enjoy these tweets from um, Jordan Rodriguez, who tried to start a lynching for uh, Cam Newton. And then <laughs> from then, yeah, I didn't expect it. To, I didn't expect anything to happen any further than that. I do that a lot. And then I think um, somebody with a lot of followers retweeted it. And then I think Blavity got hold of it. And before I knew it, I had to turn my phone off because it kept ringing so much. <laughs> wow. Wow. I, and, you know, it's crazy was... Uh... I mean, good job on that, like like finding that because <laughs> it's a, she 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 switched up fast, like like because if you look at her at her Twitter feed, uh, right? Because I was looking at tweets, she's starting the soapbox, and you know she's she's doing the soapbox and she's saying different things like, um, you know, this is not cool, this is not um, something that pass off women this women that and then suddenly her tweets turn to in today's news uh, such such happen, <laughs> like, they do a 180 super fast so if if you don't know the outside drama you would just think like you know she just had ADD or something and just switched gears all of a sudden like she just dropped it cold you know and um but when you know the actual drama you realize uh what the problem is and every single f- tweet that she has after the drama is uh full of replies of people just going back to the racism so <laughs> so like like i'll take a look like it says she goes i don't think it's quote unquote funny to be a female and talk about roots it's my job you know then then she uh, starts retweeting links of pe- of the story, you know, and it's links from other sports reporters. Like, this is guy, Scott Fowler, and she retweets him. It says, what Cam Newton said to Jordan Rodriguez wasn't funny. Mike caught him on what happened and what didn't but should have, you know. So this guy, Scott Fowler, you know, mm-hmm. uh, weighs in. There was a couple more things. Then you get a, there's a tweet where she goes, I apologize for the offensive tweet. From my Twitter account from four to five years ago. There's no excuse for these tweets. What's that? I said she made sure to throw that from four to five years ago. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, yeah, very passive aggressive. From four slash five years ago, there is no excuse for these tweets and the sentiment behind them. I am deeply sorry and apologize. And very good catch. You're right. She made sure to kind of passive aggressively throw in, like, you know. And then she just goes back to, um, sports tweeting but you know if she had her way she would have uh there would have been like a whole day of her milking this she cut it short and it's funny because every single thing she tweets from this point forward you know trying to trying to tweet past it it goes right into uh people saying hey hey racist what are you doing you know (laughs) it's like a child with a bone you know they're not letting that go you know how twitter yeah, you know, and it's, it's also full of people caping for her saying, "What if you guys let go?" And it's like, get the fuck out of here, because you were not you were, anywhere in the in the tweets <laughs> telling her to let it go when she was going to Cam Newton. Like, you know, yeah, put your cape down. But you know what, though, man, anytime I hate to say it and it's sad to say this, but anytime something like that happens, 
or somebody gets caught out there like that, there's always going to be people who are going to come at you with whataboutism, you know? She, you know, and you're right. If she, if you know, if she hadn't got caught out there, what would have happened? I think is that a lot of other um, news organizations would have put her up as the poster child for like sports abuse or whatever, and she would have milked that at the expense of Cam Newton. You know what I mean? Not saying that what he said was right, or what he said wasn't a wasn't a smart thing to do, or was a smart thing to do. But she would have absolutely, you know, she would have thrown him under the bus so she could come up off that. And the fact that she oh, couldn't, totally. absolutely, oh, that train was starting. That was that train was starting to roll. Uh, it was starting to pick up steam. You're right about that. And I think that that racism interjected just it brought it to a halt, man. Which was good for Cam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people were really like people at bigger venues were already starting to like signal booster. It was amazing how good it was working. Considering how recent it happened, like it was really starting to work so fast. Like, absolutely, you can really come up fast uh, throwing a black guy under the bus, and it's just amazing how uh, quick it was working. But what's interesting too is a lot of these sports writers. Like, I'm looking at this uh, Scott Fowler guy that she retweeted because she was already getting ready to start, you know, retweeting. Uh, all the supportive uh, white guys and white women in the media uh, that were, you know, helping her with the damage on distress narrative. Looking at a lot of the people who were ready to throw her under the bus, saying throwing him under the bus, saying it's uh, this is unjustifiable. This is what has to change. And I wanted to see if any of them had um, follow up tweets saying, "Oh man, Jordan Rod- Jordan Rodriguez is wrong." You know, uh, racism has to stop too. This is uh, this is not good. And none of these writers were, you know, doing the same type of stories for her. Oh, I got to tell you about that. Um, that whole day, at least for me, was crazy because, you know, after the after my tweet went viral, um, I started getting a lot of a lot of other stuff started coming into my feed from some of the writers you're talking about, and yeah. You know, once once everything got exposed, one thing I noticed that was becoming a trend was there are a lot of writers who were mostly white women who were basically trying to either brush um, Jordan Rodriguez's tweets under the rug or say that this isn't important. Matter of fact, there was one. um, Hang on. um, I can't think of her name, but she actually um, said she tweeted out something saying the racist tweet isn't the story. The sexism is the yeah. story. Yeah. Stop trying to her change the story. Her name is Kate Feldman. Yeah, yeah. Her name is Kate Feldman. Yeah. We talked about her in a previous podcast. What she said was the racist tweet isn't the story. The sexism is the story. Stop trying to change the story. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that was her. And I had about three or four tweets from prominent people that showed up. And what I ended up doing was um, I made this hashtag called like, Feminism Strikes Again. And oh, wow. Every time, um, every time somebody would send me something, I would just put it up there like white feminism strikes again, part two, white feminism strikes again, part three. And I think that's kind of I think it's kind of indicative of what you see with a lot of this sort of this sort of issues. A lot of white women, I think they consider themselves feminists, but they call them. But I think they're white feminists. They're only concerned about issues that affect white women and anything that happens to anybody else. They're not really concerned about. Just to be frank, 
Yeah, and one of the things with the way American society, and like I shouldn't even say America, but world society is set up is under a system of white supremacy, the way it works is if you don't have an adjective before stuff, then the default normative assumption is just assume the word white. So feminism is basically white feminism unless otherwise stated. You know, if someone says... Uh, the charts, they mean the white charts, unless you explicitly say the rap charts or the R&B charts. Like, that's just how it, how it goes. And that's, you know, how they think about it. But a lot of times we kind of hop into movements and we try to convince ourselves that these movements, unless they say white in front of it, that they're including us too. And no, nope, that's not what it is. This feminism, unless otherwise stated is implicitly white feminism and that was one of the wake-up calls uh, one one of the many wake-up calls that served to remind us of that this woman's statements well yeah you know well first of all you know anything that has to do with black people anytime you've seen black people in any kind of movement that doesn't really center us it's because we've had to scream and yell and beg and fight our way into it. Everything, like you said, is uh, white is the default in this country, and that goes for social justice movements too. Um, the sad thing about that, to me, is I think sometimes we want to be accepted by other people to the point where we ignore the gifts we can have within ourselves. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these situations. Like somebody makes a statement, like say, you know, Cam makes a statement. This woman gets offended. And I think everybody jumps on that statement trying to be an ally to this person, but you haven't really done your background about who this person is or what their motivations are. And I think that's the danger, I think. I think, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, because uh, Cam himself has had some uh, uh, trouble with, with the brothers, if you will, you know, with some of his previous uh, statements that he's made. You know, so it's like, you know, I, I've noticed that People jump on and off bandwagons all the time when it comes to uh, defending people, you know, problematic people. Because I, I would, I would label Cam uh, problematic. I wouldn't necessarily go out and call him a coon, but you know, I, he's suspect to me, you know, at the very least. And that's why, for the most part, I wouldn't get on the bandwagon and cape for him. But at the same time, when you see what's really going on, which is, you know, this is white supremacy in effect. And you put between a rock and a hard place of, you know, trying to defend against that. And, you know, that's what most, that's what I would call myself doing, defending against that as opposed to uh, leaping to his defense. Because, you know, it's really not, a, you know, they're using him to attack all of us is what that is. You know, they, and they do that with, you know, Ray Rice and whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the problem is when it happens to one of those um, quote-unquote sellout types, because Cam Newton has had some stuff that's arguably in the sellout category, I'm with you. Like I'm like, man, I don't really want to cave for you because I know what you've done uh, about throwing black people under the bus. But at the same time, I realize it's not going to stop with them. It's going to eventually boomerang onto um, all black people. So... It's like you get kind of in a situation where you're forced to kind of cautiously uh, cape for 
people like Cam Newton just because on just the sheer principle, it's uh, yeah. bullshit. Well, people but, find themselves in position a lot of time, a lot with uh, with the Cosby situation too. You know what I'm saying? Because of the least the overt abuse of what they were doing to him. You know, and he was kind of a proxy for all of black people, particularly black men. You know, so it's just, it's just tasteful sometimes. But I mean, I think it has to be done. Yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't know, man. I think that. Sometimes I think there's a lot of problematic people within our community who I think definitely need to be checked. And I don't I don't, I don't necessarily believe in caper for somebody who has a history of abusive behavior or is um, somebody where the evidence is overwhelmingly against them. My thing is, I'm not a fan of this idea that this one individual represents everybody else. You know what I mean? And the way the society is set up, especially if you're a black man. Anything you do, anything that one individual black man does is negative. It's going to reflect on everybody. That's always the way it's been in this society. And I think we need to take look, take it, look people, look at people as individuals instead of saying that this person is, um, you know, represents everybody. And also, we need to be sure that we check that person if they're doing something that's just all the way to the left, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's a double edged sword. It's hard to it's hard to do that in society that demonizes everything you do. I get it though. Yeah. You have to be hyper vigilant about everything that that comes about from these types of situations, because a lot of times what will happen, as you know, you mentioned the Bill Cosby situation, they're already uh, talking about. I think, that, as a matter of fact, out here in California, they actually changed the statute of limitations on uh, rape act. Yes, yes. So what ends up happening a lot of times is they'll take somebody like a Bill Cosby, that's a high profile situation. <clears throat> and change the entire law and structure of justice so that it can now affect an entire demographic of people. And I think that's what my man T was saying and what Mike was saying as well is, yes, these people have issues and and and, and some things that, you know, if it were any other situation, you maybe would leave them to, to fend for themselves. But as you just, as you see, um, they will change a law in a heartbeat and you know it's one exactly. demographic that um statistically is affected the most adversely by these kinds of changes man I mean, black men are the highest number of exonerated uh individuals that that uh get exonerated from rape convictions after spending years in prison and so we have to be hyper vigilant about these kinds of accusations. I I I don't see. That. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to throw in like, see, like people here. If I say something like that about a Bill Cosby or something, or even an OJ, they think, oh, you must be saying that because this is how discourse works now. That you know, they think you must be saying that this person is great. Right. And it's like, no, it's not saying that this person isn't problematic. They are problematic, but if anything. That's why you have to be the most careful because when you're problematic, that's when that person is the easiest person to be a guinea pig on because they know, okay, this person has a lot of evidence against them on paper. Oh, this person has a um, problematic past of being a sellout. Oh, this person has X, Y, and Z reason why a lot of black people aren't going to make a fuss if we try to uh, shady stuff out on them. Let's, you know, get this going. And what 
you don't realize is if you let them do something unfair to somebody, even if it's someone that you think is scummy, eventually they're going to do it to you or someone that you don't think is scummy. And that's my whole problem with the whole Bill Cosby thing. When you're straight up retroactively just creating new statute of limitations to get this guy, knowing that you can get away with it because the optics look uh, in such a way that that really uh, America salivates for, like, oh, a black man using his uh, privilege to rape white women? Oh, no way, we're not having that. Like, you know, using that to get it through, I mean, that's really screwed up because when all these executors, people who execute black people get away in any technicality, you know, everyone goes, oh, well, c'est la vie, that's how it goes. Like, you know, they're not rushing to come up with new new retroactive laws to uh, make sure those people go. It's just like, isn't it sick? Doesn't it suck how society is? Let's have a moment of peace. Uh, let's have a vigil. That's what they're doing, you know? that that's Everything is, that's just how the law goes. If we start changing the law arbitrarily, just because we think somebody's wrong, then society's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Wait. Black guy rape white women. Hold on, let's go. Uh, just change statute of limitation laws. Yeah, like you know that that's that's bull. That's really not supposed to be how it's done. Because if that's how it's done, then give us the chance to change our demands. Like like, hey, double jeopardy. Just change that. Try Zimmerman again. Wait, mm. somebody was mischarged. Uh, go back to the drawing board and change what the law means so that now they're properly charged. Like. That's that double standard. That's why the law, the law, man. You know, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to Torian, but to Torian's point, we do have to figure out a way um, to punish, for lack of a better term, um, people who uh, bring these types of situations to the group as a whole, Uh, because. There is something to be said for these individuals who don't have any real connection to the community at large. And then when they get in trouble, they want to run back under the umbrella and get that cover fire. And we do it, you know, as we just so stated, you know, because it can affect us all adversely at any given point. But I do think that there's something to be said for these people have to be, um, ostracized or punished in some way. I don't know how that's going to happen collectively as a group, but we do need to have those types of conversations about checking some of that behavior and and having there be consequences for the type of uncouth behavior that can adversely affect us all. I think the one way they'll be ostracized doesn't even have to do with us. And what I mean by that is if we um, just stop the fuckery part of it as far as them trying to sneak in some weird legal precedent like for example with oj when they try to uh find a new way to convict them but you know it's really about um them trying to get a second bite of the apple because of the nicole brown simpson thing that whole thing about him supposedly stealing his own property again was very uh suspect and bs if we fight that 
that's all we have to do, I think, because he's not gonna make money again from white America, and black people aren't gonna buy anything he does. So, so I think on the back end, the the ostrac the ostracizing will still happen, uh, both from black people and white people. But I think with Nick there, be able. I think with the, what's that? I think what the guys were saying though was that, or, or if, if I'm wrong, you guys can correct me, but that uh, even before any of this type of controversy is involved. You know, let me give R. Kelly for an example. You know, we started hearing about all this crap with R. Kelly and whatnot. I, I, we as a community should have got him up out of there before any of it, before any of that. You know, he's That's still amazing. around. There's no reason he should still be around. And we as a as a unit need to get on some type of code to where, like, you know, even if they're okay, like Bill Cosby for example, before the trials and all this and this. We, if we know about stuff like that going on, we got to get these guys up out of there. And that's what I think they're saying. We need some type of mechanism in place to where we as a group could discipline and punish people for, you know, going against the grain. That's like, I'm not sure how we can do that, though. You know what, though? I think I, the only way I can actually see us doing that, you know, seriously is financially kind of like what you said to you know it's like we got to stop supporting these people we got to stop showing up every time they have a press conference and they rent these black people to show up behind them and everything and all that we got to start having some we got to start having some ground rules about behavior in the in the community you know what i mean and if you're if you're you know if you have an issue if you have some sort of illness as far as like some sort of psychological illness where you have things that you can't control you need to get out of out of the limelight and find yourself some help, man, before you injure somebody else, or you need to be dealt with through the authorities. You know, we can't. Yeah, I I, I do get really tired of this because there's people who are obviously, you know, disturbed and sick people. Sometimes that we end up caping for. Going back to what you were saying, because white supremacy is so oppressive that we don't want to give anybody up to it. But some people are just rotten, man, and we can't. You got to give them up, you know, one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I th- I, th- I think I think this is this is this is how I feel personally. He, these people, once they're on black people's bad, once they're on white people's bad side, anyway, they're screwed regardless. Like, say for example, we fight Bill Cosby getting put in jail based on some incredibly arbitrary, unprecedented, just changing of statute of limitations just to target him specifically you know say we fight that because we don't want the precedent of that happening because once it happens and it's okay it'll be used um you know on everybody i mean even if we fight that what's left for him to do because once white people don't fuck with you you're screwed black people aren't going to like even if we fight to stop that whole uh arbitrary statute of limitations revisit revision thing it's not like black people are gonna start going to his uh, speeches after that. Like you know, like I don't think it has to equate supporting him or his career. You know, it's, it's supporting justice doesn't have to necessarily support because even if we fight that, we don't have to give him our money after that. And we already know white people aren't gonna give their money because one of the reasons why I think a lot of these problematic people feel okay being problematic is they realize. Hey, if I just piss off my own, if I just piss off black people, as long as I'm good with the white people, they're 80% of the country and they're richer, I'll be good. Right. 
Mm. Yeah, these people, once they lose the white people, now we actually have the power to hurt or help them now. You see what I'm saying? But, we actually I mean, yeah, have more power now. I yeah. agree. But, you know, they... That, that... Go ahead, Mike. Oh, um, um, you know, I mean, to agree that that's true, but, like, okay, I remember that, you remember with, um, what's the guy's name, the uh, the defensive back for the Seahawks? Richard Sherman. Uh, when, he was, when they started calling him a thug and all that, and whatever, 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 and they were really about to start riding on him, but the, the, the collective voice of black people really kind of made them back down, you know what I'm saying? So it's not that, you know, it, they were, so it does sometimes prevent them from actually turning their economic vehicle on this particular person, you know, if, and then, you know, he runs back over there and it's cool and he does some more problematic stuff, but I think... Well, I'll, I'll ask you this. Is it us or is it white liberals that um, help Richard Sherman? I mean, or is it us that, you know, gets in the white liberals' ears and they get involved? Because I'm not 100% sure that we directly did that thing with Richard Sherman. You know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm not giving us enough credit, but I feel like at the end of the day, white people decide what things black people are mad about that <laughs> they'll let um, have an effect. Sometimes that's, I, I think there's sometimes certain that things, there's certain things that racial issues being a prominent thing seems to get us largely on code really fast. You know, obviously we're going to have some some people that that stray away and, and try to do their own bullshit. But to a large degree, whenever we feel like one of ours is being untargeted, I mean, targeted unfairly by the dominant society, we have a tendency to rally behind that person. And, and you know, when you have platforms like Twitter and, and Facebook or whatnot, there's always going to be a lot of people that make their voices heard on those platforms. So I, I do think that what Mike is saying is definitely the most likely situation is that you know the collective uh, pushback from a lot of black voices kind of helped stem what was getting ready to happen to him? Because a lot of people don't remember when he did that. He did that to a, a, a lily white woman, you know, a blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, I think what was her name, Erin Anderson or something like that, Erin Andrews. Um, yeah, that was the person that he did that when he when he went on his tangent, and it wasn't against her. But I think a lot of white people got very upset because he had the gall to do that in the proximity of, of one of theirs. And that's when the backlash started to happen, where he was called a thug and, and this, that, and the third. Now, he did do some, some, uh, some, uh, some soft shoe cooning um, after that, you know, yeah. because I guess he was in fear of, of losing some endorsements or what have you. I don't know what the situation was. But he felt like he had to do some soft shoeing. But um, eventually, he got himself, I think, back on the right track. Um, so I do. Yeah, think yeah. He's been better recently. But yeah. here's the thing about Aaron Andrews. This is the difference about Aaron Andrews, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is what she said. There's a story. It's called uh, Aaron Andrews' Biggest Regret from that infamous Richard Sherman interview. And you can see this with yourself when you watch it. She's kind of like, she's kind of like shocked, but not in a horrified way, but more like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Mm. But here, here's what, here's what um, 
she she said she said that uh, she tweeted that his quote unquote candid response left her looking forward to the Super Bowl. Mm. And um she and then they interviewed about her about it uh later on. She told HuffPost Lives, Caitlin Becker, that there was one thing she really didn't like about that viral moment. Andrew said her first thought when Sherman began screaming was simple. Oh God, I better have a really good follow up question or I'm gonna be crucified. Even though she had spoken to Sherman a day before and knew he was talking about opponent Michael um Crabtree. She wanted to make sure viewers at home were in the loop. So she asked him to clarify. So what she's saying here is, you know, she was thinking about getting him on message to make sure that he mentioned Michael Crabtree to make sure that he wasn't blamed for attacking her. (laughs) She was saying that she was on his side. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, right. This is what she said. She said, what she did next is still what bothers her about the live moment. And this is her quote. If anything, I'm upset about that interview because of the way I threw to Joe Buck. I had my next question ready. I was ready to get into it, but I know Fox's producers were looking out for me. I was getting ready to ask the next question, and they just said, get it to Joe. Get it to Joe. And then um, she said, I think I made them look bad by going on. Let's just send it to Joe. Uh, in an awkward way. But other than that, I thought the interview was awesome. And then uh, she added, all in all, Andrews added that she and everyone else on her production team were pleased with the way the interview played out. When he started going off, I was able to quickly think to myself, oh God, this is big because no athletes do this. We want them to do this. And the president of Fox Sports said it perfectly when we were flying back to Los Angeles that, that night. He just said, this is why we do those interviews. We hope for something like this. So they actually enjoyed it and thought it was cool to see a not boring post-game interview and not just a regular, uh, you know, we did our execution, we executed our plays, right. we did what we tried to do, you know. So that's what I think the difference is. I think it's white people that were pushing for Richard Sherman. Like, they liked it. The people involved. If Aaron Andrews, in my opinion, if she said, listen, I was scared for my life. I felt like, you know, vulnerable. All the black noise in the world wouldn't have made a difference. Ah, okay. I see what you're saying. Well, uh, you know what's funny said, about you know you know what's funny about that though? From 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 what you just said, it sounds like that she actually didn't have any kind of ulterior motive. But the fact remains though, from the just from looking at it, if you're a viewer yeah. If you're a white person at home and you turn on Fox or whatever and you see a big black dude with some dreads yelling at this little white chick, you're automatically going to get in the fight or flight mode about that. And you're automatically going to think this is a big black boogeyman getting ready to attack this damsel in distress. And whether she herself, you know, was doing that intentionally or not, that's what's going to get read. And what happens is just like what happened with Cam, people are going to take that. The public's going to take it and run with it. And they're going to run with that narrative. And before you know it, you know another brother's in a situation that he can't get himself out of, you know, yeah. from, from her, from her point of view or from a sports writer's point of view. Yeah. It's good TV because it gets you ratings and it gets you attention on social media, but they, they don't think about the repercussions of, the, of that for the player, especially for a black male. You know what I mean? This, yeah. this country's well, her, always been set up like that. Her claim. And 
I don't know if I believe her. And I heard D uh, uh, expressing some skepticism himself. But <laughs> so I didn't mean, I was claim, thinking out loud, brother. I didn't. Yeah, no, no, no. It's fine because I, I agree with you. I, I'm a little skeptical. She was claiming that she was cognizant about that. And that's why her follow-up question was, you know, who he was talking about, you know, because she, she wanted to make sure people knew he was talking about Michael Crabtree and not being... Uh, aggressive toward her so she claims that she uh yeah. was looking out for him by getting him to mention michael crabtree's name with her follow-up question so, yeah yeah i remember I mean, that do we, do we that, believe her i don't know well, I, I can don't tell know. you this just without that context the added context of what you said that she said after the fact looking at the raw footage it, it, there was no indication that she knew what he was talking about at all to me you know i'm replaying yeah. it in my head now she looked like she was like oh shit okay well <laughs> oh, yeah. she, 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 she did she did ask a follow-up question though right if i remember correctly she did say who are you talking yeah about? she said who are you talking about exactly but it was i mean i i personally didn't think that she looked threatened she looked like she was like enjoying it but she was shocked like she was like oh like this is good tv like but you know what though the thing about that though regardless of what her motivation was what people are going to see is that monster coming for this innocent? You know what I mean. That's what's going to translate, you know, in front of oh, a for yeah. a viewing audience. I totally, I totally agree. People are going to see that. I'm just saying that as long as her and her tribe of white people aren't bothered by it, because these white liberals, okay. they they have a kind of culture war thing going on with white conservatives and stuff. So they're like, listen, you guys, fuck off. We like this. We're still cool with Richard Sherman. And I, th all I'm saying is, I think that's what really saved Richard Sherman: the fact that the white woman and the white liberals weren't bothered by it. So all that black noise, they just, you know, petted the Negroes' heads and said, "You know what? We got you on this." I don't know. Don't worry. <laughs> we're, we're, whereas, whereas, with this woman, with this woman, she was the white woman, and the liberals were like, "Hey, man, we." Are not cool with this, and I don't think that response. Cam was going to go down. I don't think they were immediately like, "Oh, oh," you know. I think it, it festered a little bit, and then I think when we got in there, they're like, oh, "Okay," because you know he, they were still talking about it a couple of days later. They weren't really coming to his defense like that at first. I, you know, they they were they had to because of the uproar, yeah, and even and even uh, Sherman himself kind of acquitted himself with his interviews. He's like, you know, yeah, they're calling me thugs, and he hit when he killed him when he said. You know, thug is just the new N word, and they were just like, you know, and everybody knew it, but I think I don't think it had ever been stated in, you know, on such a large platform. And yeah, really, that was the first time I heard him say somebody say that publicly like that, articulated in that. Yeah, fashion. yeah, but, I think uh, so too. You're right. Yeah, um, you know, but it, it we'll never know. You know what yeah. I mean? She said what she said. Um, I have my thoughts about it, but you know, at the end of the day. Um, was done was done and they kind of played into certain racial dynamics that um trigger uh certain feelings on both sides you know the racists and those of us who consider ourselves to be counter racists who are affected and victimized by it um we saw it another way so whether or not however she meant it or didn't mean it is is ultimately meaningless in the grand scheme of things because right. everybody knew that what dynamics were at play when that situation went down. You know exactly. I mean? I'll say I'll say this though. Uh, I think Torin's situation right here is a good test of 
my cynicism or not because you know I tend to be very cynical. And Torin's situation, I think, is a very good test because we have a situation where, you know, both the white conservatives and the white liberals both seem to be on the same page, the white feminists. This is one of those things where there was a type of uh, racist Voltron forming and, <laughs> and um, they were, you know, united against him. And this is something that truly... Uh, is only coming from the black community. Those tweets that yeah. Torin found yeah. that were kind of showing her racism. Yeah. So that kind of validates what I was saying. It's kind of validated what I was. Yeah. As far as like, yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's it gives evidence to uh, Mike's uh, side of it rather than mine that maybe black people by themselves do actually get results done. But see, uh, well, well, yeah, I, you know, here's the thing about that. Just, um, you know, no media outlet, honestly, nothing in this country has ever gone broke demonizing black men. And anytime you can, anytime you can use a black man as a scapegoat for something, either within yourself or you can make this person sort of a boogeyman for everything negative and everything hateful, that's always going to sell. You know, I don't care. I don't care where you go in this world. But we can just keep it with America. That's always going to be something that people are going to be willing to believe. So, you know, black men, especially somebody who is a, a physically strong black man who is, you know, physically imposing, who is not, you know, at least in this instance, for lack of a better term, is not like bowing his head. He's being sarcastic. He's not basically bowing and scraping for anybody. That's going to put some people on edge. And the fact, regardless of what the circumstances are for what happened. If you can set up that narrative that you have this, basically, for lack of a better term, a uppity buck who won't bow down and is not going to say, is going to let this not let this woman walk all over him. Some people are going to rise to defend that and try to destroy that image, regardless of what the situation is. It's just the way it is in this country. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we had a recent episode that um, it's a premium episode, so not everyone's going to hear the this example this concept but i was talking about in the last episode we did about this guy called frank chin he's a chinese activist but he talks about white supremacy a lot and he's he's pretty good he's a, he's a thorough guy but he has this concept called um racist love and racist love goes by the idea that for every type of hate there's an accompanying love and what that means is like like say you're, say you're a misogynist and you hate uh, fem feminists. You have this idea of a type of woman you hate. Like, oh, that white bitch feminist who um, is emasculating white men and she's cucking us and she's uh, not having babies and she's in the workplace. But he also, that same misogynist has his sexist love. Like he has this ideal woman who's submissive. You know, they call them traditional wives, they call them trad wives, and they like fetishize this type of Donna Reed, homemaker, uh, deferential to uh, her man, doesn't get aroused when she sees a black man, you know. And all types of white supremacists, I think, have their type of racist love. Like, you know, the white liberal racist has his version of a white man that he loves the 
blue collar white guy racist as his version of a black guy that he loves and in in our case like athletes you know and um it's always kind of funny because when you get out of the boundaries of that racist love they will turn on you really fast because that racist love is tied into that racist hate like you know it, it's ready to be flipped into that hate at any given moment and i think that's the reality these athletes uh living when your whole career when your whole persona your livelihood is you're making this money but the money is tied in to racist love mm. you know you're at any given moment that's that switch can be flipped mm. and that's why i think these reactions are so like visceral and hardcore against these guys when it uh, i think when history, it happens history bears out what you're saying if you look at certain um black athletic archetypes you know, you have your your quiet um, workman like, you know, uh, more humble people like um, Joe Lewis, for example. We have that conversation a few episodes back um, and they like those types versus, say, um, somebody like uh, Muhammad Ali, who's more outspoken. Um, I, I think any time black athletes, especially athletes that are at the pinnacle of their respective sport, I think when they stray from those boundaries of the humble, quiet archetype that, you know, just scores his touchdown and shuts up and goes and sits down on the bench, doesn't do anything too controversial um, versus the guy who's outspoken. He, he celebrate, he's celebratory, he does dances, he talks trash. Those are the kinds of guys that they hate and that they malign. And, and it's also interesting with Muhammad Ali Look how, you know, he's the example of it flipping back in the reverse because once he became, like, feeble, once he lost his money, whatever, that racist hate switched right back to racist love. Like, yeah. as he increasingly got more and more uh, impotent and feeble, he um, the love came right back to the point where, like, by the end, you know, you would think white people never hated him. Yeah. You know, they were, he was... You know, they started using him as an example to lecture other black people. They'd be saying stuff, tell, tell Kaepernick, you know, why don't you be, a, you know, a good guy like uh, Muhammad Ali. You're no Muhammad Ali. And it's like, oh, my God, do you actually know how much work? But Muhammad Ali was said way worse things than uh, Kaepernick. Like, Kaepernick was very, very chill with his protests in comparison to Muhammad Ali. But you know what, though? You have a whole generation of people who don't study history. And they only see images and the images that they know of Muhammad Ali and of Martin Luther King are these humble, you know, docile sort of meek people. That's the idea they have. They don't know about the potency of their messages at the time when they were at their full power. Like if you listen, um, if, I think you're giving them too much credit. I think they just don't care. I, I, that's, what, that's what I personally think. I think they just don't care. Like, because you can tell these people this all the time on Twitter. You see these people try to try lecture these people or educate them. Goes, well, you know this, this, and that, and you know, they, they, I don't think they really, they really care. They have an image they want, and they're gonna. I mean, I don't know. Do you think if they actually studied Muhammad Ali, they would say, "Wow, I was wrong." I mean, I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. Well, let me. I'll say this. I've actually done that on social media more than once. Where like somebody, I'll make a statement. And somebody will bum rush my mentions talking about you're a race hater, you're a race bitter. This isn't what he meant. And I'm a firm believer in research. So I'll go back and I'll pull out some quotes from something like 
like MLK said something or they'll come at me with this one that, you know, MLK would never behave like this. And then I'll pull up a quote or something where he was talking about always protect your manhood or never let anybody, you know, down you because you're because of your skin. Your skin is black and beautiful. And this is something that's always been interesting. If American, if white American, if I do that with white Americans, they never listen to it. They automatically try to um, say that wasn't what he meant or they just try to ignore it and go back to whatever their point was. Europeans always listen. I found that out. That's interesting to me. Mm. Well, you know what it is, yeah. man, with, especially with the Americans, you know, they, they, they lie. They're liars. They, a lot of them do. I think a lot of them do know, but they, they don't have a problem with getting on there and deliberately stating a, or a falsehood or misrepresenting what somebody said. I don't think they have a problem with it. And even when you, when you pointed out that it's not true, They'll just keep going like you never said anything, and you'll catch them tweeting somebody else the same lie that you just caught them in. Yeah, yeah, I've yeah, seen that true. happen. I've seen, I've seen where you, uh, you know, school them on something, and they just, you know, try to move the goalposts, whatever. And you see them tweeting later, and they're just still using that same talking point. They just try to find someone who won't be able to correct them. But I will say this about Europeans because I uh, did travel to Europe and stuff. Um. I'll give an example. I went to uh, Stockholm, right? Mm-hmm. And I went there and, you know, they kind of treated me like a curiosity when I was there. And I was going to all these different places. And because I'm very able to socialize with white people very well, they um, would like to ask me that kind of crazy questions and stuff. So... A lot of them were talking to me and goes, oh, my God, I'm going to be so hard in America. Tell us about this. Tell us about that. You know, mm-hmm. it's so racist there. And I remember I was in one nightclub. And the way the nightclub was, it's like a, the, there's part open air, part inner air. I mean, part uh, inside. And at the front, you can see the people who are being let in and turned away. And they were talking about just how... Um, racist America is and how hard it must be and you know like yeah here we're very tolerant in Stockholm this and that and I looked outside and there was a whole bunch of Africans coming in and they look different than African Americans like they look black but you can look at them and see okay these people are like um, Somalian look like these are they're homegrown niggers as opposed to you know everybody has their own kind of uh they're going kind of group right yeah exactly so you know they had that east african um muslim type of look probably somalian or ethiopian or other places and then the people i worked were like uh you know and then they were like um they got turned away and and they're like oh thank goodness you know but it was clearly like (laughs) the guy gave him a look like no way in hell you guys getting in here and then, you know, I kind of looked at them. I think one of them kind of figured out why I was looking at them. And she was like, oh, yeah, but you're different, though. <laughs> oh, wow. She actually said that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? She goes, oh, yeah, those, you know, those Muslim types, they're not, they're not like black American types. You know, they, um, yeah, like, just trying to give you There are niggers, basically, is what she was saying. There are. Yeah, but she, but, but, but she was trying, you know, she was trying to say, like, they should be hated. Yeah. You know, you know, you don't deal with them. You don't know what they're like. If you knew what they were like, you would dislike them too. Because so, right. like it wasn't it wasn't race. They kind of deserve. She's like, yeah, they don't assimilate. They don't 
do this and that. They're not like uh, it's the same kind of argument that you get when they talk when they kind of juxtapose Black Americans with like Caribbean exactly. immigrants to America or African immigrants to America. You you know you you know you by you traveling to Stockholm from America, you represent a more upper upper class you know Black person as opposed to you know the one that grew up there you know. Yeah, what's what, what's funny about Black Americans is that even though they get treated like the worst type of Black person in America by you know non-Black Americans around the world, yeah, it's so ironic and so weird. But Black Americans are the rock stars of Black people. Yeah, they they captivate everyone, and it's so weird because like Africans will come here. And you know, try to shit on American blacks or Caribbean black people coming trying to shit on American blacks. But when you see Africans in Japan or Russia or Europe, they're trying to sell themselves as black Americans. It's the funniest thing. They will dress with like hip hop, American hip hop culture, with American swag, and they because they know that uh, to foreigners, black Americans are, you know. The rock stars of the diaspora. It's a really weird thing. You saw that in yeah. Paris with their uh, fetishization of the the jazz the jazz generation. Yeah, and stuff. But, but that's why I say like that that European that um, gets it supposedly he gets it because it's America. There's very cool with saying America's racist, but every person in Europe kept swearing to me that Europe wasn't racist. And when I would speak to um, actual European black people, they were like, "These motherfuckers are so fucking racist." Um, I one 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 white woman. I'll tell you another story about um, Sweden. Like, like one white woman showed me a dessert, and she, and it was that's the, these chocolate balls. And she was like, uh, "Do you know what those are called?" And I I was like, "What?" She, and it translates in Swedish to nigger balls. It's a uh, nigger bowling. Jesus. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they're ac- they're actually called like like nigger balls, like black testicles. That that's the name of this uh Swedish dessert. It's a classic Swedish uh dessert. That's a ghoulish uh nomenclature that they gave to that dish. What black? Oh yeah, eating n i n i g g e r b o l l e n. Anybody can. Do a Google image search for it, and you know, I think it's how it's spelled. It's uh, yeah, yeah, but 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 there's a lot of um, there's a lot of controversy over it. Like you know, they kind of phased out the name of it. Yeah, that's they have the cool. same sort of thing. They have the same thing in the Netherlands. There's a controversy about that too. Like every they have a Christmas. Yep, Swatspeets. I think if I'm not butchering it, yeah, they have basically their helpers for Santa Claus, Santa Claus, whatever, and oh, they basically. It's supposed to be like um, they basically they have a parade and they have um, men dressed up in like uh, like elf suits with blackface. And the story, quote unquote, that they say that they give out about that is that it's not blackface. He's actually one of Santa's elves who went down the chimney and got soot on his face. That's what they say. Um, yeah. And, um, also, they also have. Sorry. I was gonna say there's also a similar thing in Iran. Um, I don't want to butcher the name Haji Perez, and uh, it's also like a black-faced dwarf or elf, like a Santa's little helper type of thing. 
And that's also very controversial out there as well. So it seems like it's all over the world where they have these little, um, you know, and it also offends uh, the Afro-Iranian community. A lot of people don't know that, but there's a small community of, mm. just like everywhere, you know, there's a small yep. community of, of um, black people there. And uh, of course, you know, they're offended by it, but, you know, no one cares because they're, you know, it's like that all oh, over uh, the world. By the, by the way, just for people listening, because I, I always put these in show notes, but sometimes people don't read the show notes. I spelled it wrong. It's N-E-G-E-R-B-O-L-L-A-R. So it's Negro Baller, not Negro Baller. So <laughs> that's just my thread outside. But uh, listen, listen to this, because this is a very short article, so I'll just, I'll just uh, read it. The Battle of the Swedish Chocolate Ball. Why you choose to call it racist or politically correct? Um, the interesting thing about language and culture is that they are constantly in flux. As time goes on, languages develop, and as more people travel or migrate, cultural behaviors change. This can be a scary thing for some people who don't want to see change happening and who cannot embrace the new aspects of their culture. They fiercely hold on to the past, their, cult, their old cultural identities and behaviors, and actively work against the positive influences that a cultural mix brings. One such example of this is the chocolate ball, a kind of cake that is very popular in Sweden. Previously, in less enlightened times, these chocolate balls were called negroballer. This translates as nigger balls or negro balls. Understanding the offensive nature of the name, this chocolate delicacy was officially renamed some years ago, but a certain section of the population, who I'm guessing are not black, hold on to their right to call them <laughs> nigger balls. Yesterday was so-called Negroballing Day on Facebook, and 21,000 people had signed up their support to say Negroball. So, so basically, like these people always want to say America is racist. We're not racist, and they're always quick to, you know, act very sympathetic to Black Americans when they call white Americans racist or exp or explain racism to white Americans. But I noticed. When the foot is on, when the shoe is on the other foot and it's their turn, they kind of get defensive like uh, Trump supporters. Because now you got these people complaining about um, political correctness and all that. You, you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, uh, it's very ironic. So that's why I kind of worried about giving Europeans too much credit with, the, with this stuff. They, uh, you hear about the soccer players, you know, some of the black. Yeah, good yeah, one. yeah. We're getting bananas thrown onto the field and stuff like that. I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. They're not as enlightened as they try and portray themselves as. Hey, um, they believe their own hype. Oh yeah, they do. They they do, man. And and you know, it's 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 similar out here to how um, a lot of uh, white people would say that. You know, we don't deal with the racial issue anymore. That's been passed and this, that, and the other. They, they live in their own little fantasized version of reality. You know, if you ask your, your average black person that same question, we're going to have a completely different take on the reality of the situation. You know, so. Um, you know what, though? I think what's interesting about that is I think a lot of white people, when they say that, they really do believe it because. I think in the popular imagination, the idea of what a racist is, is a you know, tobacco chewing redneck with a Confederate flag who's mm. a Klan member. You know what I mean? That's obvious. People, and, you know, and because it's not obvious, people assume that there's, they're not racist, but they don't think about redlining 
They don't think about the fact that their neighborhood, there's no black people, no families there, except for maybe one or two. All those things are racism as well, but they're very quiet and they're very subtle. And because they're so subtle, people don't think about it. Yeah, that's deliberate. You know, it's been a deliberate, you know, the uh, thing with the media and whatnot. They've deliberately gone a way to kind of caricaturize what racism is. Like you used examples of redneck, flag waving, tobacco chewing, and, you know, nigger, nigger, they're carrying the torches and all that. And it's so extreme that of, of what a racist is that really nobody fits that example anymore. So we can't be racist, right? Exactly. That's a great point. You guys have both raised uh, very good points, but the proof is in the pudding. Um, when you look at things like sentencing disparities, when you look at things like how jury pools are made up, um, jury nullification, where they don't let black people on these juries have these lopsided conviction rates and things of that sort. Um, so it plays out, you know, who gets loans, um, who gets called back for job interviews, uh, who gets the jobs. It plays out in, in the most important, uh, in ways that are far more important than some tobacco chewing redneck calling somebody a nigger. You know, that's. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting about the whole redneck thing. Um, I just shared a link. It reminds me of this um, thing that came out. It was called, it was in Slate. In 2016, it was new poll finds that Hillary supporters are pretty racist too by Josh Voorhees. Mm. And what this um, article and poll were basically saying is that in terms of optics and actions and stances, the liberal Hillary supporters were, you know, far less racist as far as like um, a... A uh, Trump supporter would call a black person like a redneck. I mean, I saw a, call a black person a thug or a nigger or some kind of slur. And a Hillary supporter would be like, you know, black people deserve equal rights. Affirmative action is good. Like, like when it came to stances, they seemed very much different. But when it came to actual beliefs about black people, for example, one third of Trump supporters describe blacks as less intelligent and one-fifth of Clinton support, supporters uh, did the same. So one-third to one-fifth, not that big a difference. This is about actual implicit value beliefs. Right. Uh, 40% said of Trump supporters described blacks as more lazy, whereas a quarter of Clinton supporters said the same. So it was only a 15% difference. 44% of Trump supporters described blacks as more rude than whites, and 30% of Clinton supporters said the same. Half of Trump supporters said blacks were more violent. 32% of Clinton supporters said um, something. Actually, oh, sorry. Half of Trump supporters said blacks more violent. One third of Clinton supporters said the same thing. Half of Trump supporters uh, described blacks as more inclined to crimin naturally inclined to criminality. One third of Clinton supporters said the same thing. So, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because... If you ask a lot of those Clinton supporters, they only see the, like you said, the overt racism as counting, not the actual beliefs. As long as you say the right things in public and and act uh, civil, it's all good. But you know, it's it's interesting. If any, if I learned anything about that whole Cam Newton situation that I tweeted about, is that a lot of People who consider themselves liberal and consider themselves um, 
you know, allies, if you want to call it, even though I hate that word now, a lot yeah, of them have ruined. Yeah, it really is just like woke. I hate woke at this point. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of a lot of them, like you said, had the same kind of setting attitudes toward black people, even though they think they're they're their allies. It's like they see I think a lot of them see black people as sort of like these children that need to be yeah. guided into the right direction and they don't give them credit for having their own agency and their own intelligence and they need to be guided by these, you know, white liberal saviors who need to think for them and put programs in place for them, but they never ask them about what they want. It's like they get these programs, they hand them down to them and then they're just supposed to deal with them and if it doesn't work, well, it's not their fault. It's because they, they're either lazy, like you said, or they're not applying themselves. There's a lot of that. A lot of condescension of wrong, I think, a lot of white liberals. Uh, I want to ask Turin, I want to ask a question about uh, what the responses have been to your findings. I mean, with this lady, Jordan uh, Rodriguez, however you pronounce her name, how have different camps responded to this? And what I mean by that is um, there's a lot of people who were jumping on the crucify Cam Newton bandwagon from different areas like the white liberals were kind of on it the feminists were on it the um the conservatives you know were on it but there were also for example there's this guy called queer socialism he's seems to be on like that that bmat tip where if you know black men are trash and he was going on on this rant he was saying um yeah there's a double standard with trump saying grab pussy and cam newton but screw that you know we should still bash cam because um cool. black men should be holding black men accountable for their misogyny and stop trying to be treated like white men black men don't give a fuck about eradicating or confronting misogynists they just want to be able to get away with it uh they want equality you know it was it was the usual straight black men are the white people of um uh, you know what I'm saying? And then there was a there was a woman who's also saying her name was Chick Norris. She was saying like oh, oh black women like 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 this was her response. She was seems like one of those black feminists and she was saying black males wanna keep white women and black women separate so damn bad. We need to be linking up to sharing notes on what they're trying to hide. So before your tweets came out, you know, there were a lot of uh, quote unquote woke black people who were kind of jumping in the dog pile, uh, too. And some of them were even like a Chick Norris person was was saying about how black women and white women are like natural allies who need to compare notes sure. to, um, you know. So so now that your tweets came out and kind of revealed that, hey, this girl is kind of racist against, you know, all black people yeah not just uh the black women what have been different uh responses you got have have any of them uh changed their tune you know i did see some of that when um when my teeth started blowing up um i guess the best way to describe that was that a lot of the people who were ready to crucify cam and you know they were going in going on twitter making all their threats about um you know he's trash and this sort of thing once my once my tweet blew up, um, most of them went silent. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have anybody uh, attack me directly for what I said because they really couldn't dispute it because it was facts and it was right there to be read. Um, 
So, so, so no black people tried to continue caping for her, at least. They just mostly just went silent and just... Uh, yeah, at least as far as I saw, everything just kind of went dead. Everything, it was just radio silence. It went from getting ready to mount a crusade to just, you know, crickets for the most part. Um, got it, got it. But as far as what you were, as far as like different camps, and well, let me say this. Um, what happens a lot on um, social media, especially Twitter, is that people don't read to understand they read to react and people already put it. yeah you know people don't really read anything for context it's like they already have an idea in their head and the first little bit of evidence or something that they little bit of information they get they automatically run with it and it almost goes back to what you were saying about the way that like if you try to show somebody a fact they already had their mind made up and they're not going to listen to it they're either going to move the goalposts or they're going to like completely go somewhere else that happens a lot on social media, and I don't really feed into it a lot. Normally, if I say something and somebody tries to come at me, I'll try to engage with them to a point. But once I see that they're not really trying to debate, they just want to get up and preach, I just basically I cut it. You know what I mean? It's a waste of time. What was the most interesting reaction you got to uh, fighting the tweets from anybody? Uh, I think the most interesting reaction was um, the fact that... Um, Jordan Rodriguez put out that, you know, that faux apology, you know, um, saying that she apologized for it. I didn't expect that. And I'm not trying to say I took credit for it, but I think the fact that Blavity picked it up and they made a, an article about it, that put it into the wider, you know, it put it out into the wider public eye and it became a thing that she couldn't run from, you know, because usually what, you know, this isn't the first time something like this has happened, but usually what people try to do is tweet through it or they try to let it die down. I hope it goes away, but this one just had legs and just would not stop. And it got to the point where she had to address it. And it's funny because when you go to her uh, tweets of her trying to tweet through it, and you can totally see where she starts trying to tweet through it because she just switches like on a dime and just starts talking about sports news again. She's like, you know, Cam Newton's got to go. This is bad. And in today's news, blah, blah, blah. And every single uh, tweet, just no one wants to talk about what she's trying to change the topic to they just keep uh bringing it back to it so you're right it did have legs and i think you should take credit for it i mean really it really was you i mean there's no other way around it but um what is interesting is i heard that she was actually blocking people for pointing it out at first like after you uh kind of gave it legs people were kind of asking her about it and then people were tweeting that she was just blocking people left and right so in addition to tweeting through it, she was just going to uh, just keep blocking and ignoring them. So that's another thing that I think makes the apology extra fake. Because that blocking spree, you know, if if she had just done nothing and then apologized, I think even that would be better. But how are you going to just block anybody? Like, If you're sorry about something, like if you keep calling me or coming to my house because you want to talk to me about something I did and I keep slamming the door in your face and then finally you come back with the cops and I say I'm sorry like you know I'll how much weight does that hold it's real bullshit you, you know well you know when somebody I don't know if it's true or not but you know when somebody's livelihood is dependent on what their actions are then people's actions tend to line up with whatever's going to take care of their livelihood really quick and I'm guessing that's probably what happened. I think if, you know, if it would have, you know, if nobody had said anything, she probably would have continued this, you know, fake crusade to get 
Cam, you know, more endorsements killed or whatever. And it would have become a big thing and it would have really damaged his career. The fact that it got turned around on her so quickly, I think it caught her by surprise because let's just be honest, you know, the default in this country is if you're a white woman and you say a black man did something, the black man's going to prison or he's going to get lynched. The fact that it didn't happen this time for her and it just didn't fall that way, I think she was shocked. I think that's part of it. And the fact that nobody else supported it, even though she did it, because that's happened too. People have said, you know, obviously, if you know the history of this country, you've had white women say that a black man did something and whole towns have been destroyed. That's yeah. the power they have. And the fact that that didn't happen for her tonight, that night, I think it just, it shocked her and she just had to come up with something quick and her employers made her come up with something. That's my guess. Yeah, and, and that blocking really lets you know that she was really confident that she could just control it, you know, just block a few people and be done. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's never been any reason to say that it hasn't, you know. Usually what you know, if somebody if somebody doesn't like something on social media, they can block you. Now, I'm not a fan. I'm, I don't mind somebody blocking somebody for saying anything offensive or somebody making personal attacks. But if you lie and then somebody catches you on a lie or you say something that's wrong and somebody corrects you, I don't see the point in blocking that. Just take the L and keep it moving. Yeah. I've said. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm. That's a that's a wrap for me. Uh, I'll I'll let you guys. Um, Get your last words in. Uh, we're gonna have to have Tori, Tori, and back, man. I, I had some stuff I wanted to ask him uh, related to some other stuff <laughs> that uh, you know, just about his personal uh, background and, and how he came to the place uh, politically and 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 socially where he is now versus where he was, say, you know, a couple of years ago, and. Uh, I wanted to ask him some stuff about that, but you know, I'll save it for, for next time. Oh, uh, see now that's bad because now you peaked my career. Like, like how are you going to end on that? Like, <laughs> <now> <laughs> you got to leave yeah. a little bit more. Cause you know, I, I got some things also that I want to ask. We kind of, before we got our, our technical issues out, we were kind of yeah. getting into personal, you know, his personal business a little bit. I wanted to get nosy some more, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. We'll save it for another day. Actually, you know what? That's good because I know what you guys are talking about, and there is there are some yeah, yeah. It, it would be it would have been hard to fit into this one because it's such a different topic. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should have a follow up episode about that uh, for sure. Well, first, let's not assume. Like, uh, Torin, are you down? Because he might he might have hated this experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck coming, fuck coming back to these guys. Like, these guys are assuming a lot. No, I no, I, I I'd love to come back definitely. It was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed talking with you guys. Okay, great, great. And I think uh, we'll have the technical issues uh, worked out for sure. So it won't be this much of a headache next time. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, really cool. And please plug anything you want to plug that you feel you might not have gotten to plug before. Um, well, right now, um, most of my content is going to be going on to my website, tornwalker.com. Um, I started the website because as I said earlier, I'm, I'm a freelance journalist and there's some topics that I want to cover that certain um, outlets don't want to touch or they don't know how to deal with them. And I think um, me doing it on my own platform is a way to get that done. So torrenwalker.com, I'll be having interviews. I'll also be setting up some other things that are in the works right now. Yeah. Okay. And you, go there, you can go there now because he's got links to some, some of the stuff he's already done. Some, some good articles. You know, he did one for Team Vogue that, that was a good one. 
And, you know, he's working for a lot of people, you know, uh, Huffington Post, you know, Fusion, Team Vogue. So, you know, he's got some good stuff on that. If you guys want to check it out, you should check it out. Okay. Did you just say he's rotten? I, I, I hope I didn't say that. I hope I didn't say that. I mean, you know, I might have to go to uh, my GED, you know. Inspire? I don't know. She's written. No, maybe, maybe, no, maybe I misheard. Maybe I misheard. You know? I hope I didn't say that. If I do, okay. don't edit that shit out. See, don't, don't put me on. Track. I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise the volume on it. I'm gonna. It's all good, man. Isolate the. Oh, that's cold. <laughs> We're creative people, man. We make up new words on the fly, so it's all yeah, good. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what, man? I'm gonna make that happen, man. We're gonna actually make that the new, the new business. I hope you just heard that. I hope I didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, 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 well. We'll see. We'll see. I'm gonna read this. All right, man. So yeah, it was good terrain, and I will. Uh, we'll all talk soon. No doubt. Thank you.